As High School Musical star Joshua Bassett turned his back on the LGBTQ community, his beloved author Roald Dahl, the latest target of cancel culture, and what do we make of the Russian invasion of Ukraine one year later? Let's find out. What's up, guys? My name is Ben Pierce, and this is Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction, where I gather together some of the most important news events and headlines of our day and ask the question, what would Jesus think and what would Jesus do? If you enjoy this content, don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment down below. For fuller form conversations with the full Provoke and Inspire crew, click the link in bio. Famous actor and singer-songwriter Joshua Bassett posted a tweet that caused quite the stir. He said on January 5th, Jesus Christ is the only way. His death and resurrection are historically documented. Turn away from hate, seek forgiveness, and come home to him. Initially, fans wondered if Joshua's account had been hacked, because prior to this point, he had been an outspoken atheist and someone who talked a lot about the religious trauma of his past. But these rumors didn't last long as Joshua continued to post about his faith in a very, very public way. Now, the whole thing culminated when on February 19th, he posted a video of him getting baptized at Bethel Church in California. Fans expressed their disbelief, pointing out that Joshua not that long ago had come out as a bisexual atheist and now he's getting baptized at a church with openly anti-LGBTQ policies, even supporting deconversion therapy. In response to this criticism, Joshua tweeted, I visited this church and happened to get baptized here. I was unaware of some of their policies and beliefs. I do not endorse all of them. My heart is for Christ and Christ alone. As I've watched this story unfold, my attitude in general has been to be very sympathetic towards Joshua. I can't imagine what it must be like to be this Gen C public icon, to discover who Jesus is, to give my life to him, to I want to profess that in a public way only to have my fans, the people who loved me, turn on me for these beliefs and accuse me of all sorts of terrible things. I think for anyone who comes to Jesus, it's difficult, let alone for someone in the public eye. For all of us who are imperfect and growing and wrestling with our faith and learning what it means to follow Jesus, this can be a struggle. So I can't imagine what it must be like to try to do this with all of this public scrutiny. And so overall, my thoughts are to feel sympathetic, to, to care about Joshua and to hope that he has people around him who care about him and can support him through this journey. Other than that, my thoughts are really directed at followers of Jesus, like you and I. What do we do when we're confronted with stories like Joshua's or others like it? What should our response be? And I really want to focus on three things. My first thought is that we should celebrate when someone gives their life to Jesus, when they find peace, when they overcome difficulties, when they really truly discover Jesus and give their lives to him. That is cause for celebration. Yet at the same time, we shouldn't be doing this in a triumphant way. There is a narrative especially among his secular fans, that he has gone from their team to our team. And that there is this triumphant attitude among Christians like, yes, here's another person who's on our side. And whether this is deserved or something just conjured up by those from a secular perspective, either way, we need to not feed into it. So yes, we should celebrate, but we should celebrate with humility, recognizing that for some people, it's very traumatic that someone who they loved, who they followed, who they supported, in their mind has betrayed them. Whether that's true or not, that's how they feel. And so let's celebrate, but let's do it with a humble heart. The second thing is that we need to be patient and we need to be patient in two ways. The first way is we need to be patient with Joshua himself. Look, he is going to make mistakes. You and I make mistakes. And the difference is everything he's doing and will do will be under intense scrutiny. He's gonna say the wrong things. He's gonna have maybe some sketchy theology. He's gonna make mistakes in the public eye, just like so many celebrity Christians before him. And our response needs to be patience not rush to judge him, not rush to point out all the ways he 
fails or says things he shouldn't or doesn't say things that he should, we need to be patient. Along with celebrating him, we need to trust that God is at work and that it's a work in progress. Remember, Jesus is not about taking dirty people and making them clean. Like they need to be up to a certain point before he will accept them. Jesus takes dead people and makes them alive. And even though that's true of Jesus, often I feel like we believe that unless people exhibit the perfect kind of behavior, then they don't deserve our acceptance, that they don't deserve our support. Look, sanctification is a slow, ugly process. It has been in my life. And so we need to be patient with Joshua as he works out this very real thing in a very public way. The second place is we need to be patient with where we want to elevate him. The temptation is always to take brand new celebrity Christians and to elevate them into positions of leadership or as spokespeople, and he's going to feel that pressure. I'm sure his DMs are filled with invitations to speak at this conference or to appear on this podcast or wherever. He's going to be getting all of these opportunities to represent the Christian faith. And the truth is, that's crazy. He is a brand new believer, a baby Christian. The last thing he needs, the last thing we we need to do to him is put this pressure on him like now he represents the faith. No, he needs to go and hide somewhere like Paul did and just grow in his faith, become strong. And maybe God will call him to a big platform to speak out the truth, to represent the gospel, to change people's lives. And God is already doing that in and through him to some degree. But by and large, I think we need to show patience, not only with the way he acts in the public eye, but with the platform we expect of him and give to him because it's something he simply won't be able to sustain stain in the short term. And finally, we need to pray. And we need to pray in two ways. The first way is we need to pray for him, obviously, that God protects this brand new seed that's inside of him, that it can flourish and grow, that the enemy doesn't snatch it away with lies and deception, that the, the weeds of the world don't come in and choke it out. We need to pray that God protects this brand new life that he now has in Jesus. But then we also need to pray that God puts people around him who love him enough to speak the truth to him. What he needs most is men and women who are willing to disciple him in an honest way. You see, the problem is when you're a celebrity and you have a lot to offer people, people are often unwilling to tell you the truth. Well, of course, this makes discipleship impossible. So let's pray that God brings people into his life that are mature followers of Jesus, that know scripture and are willing to communicate the truth to him regardless of the consequences. So world famous children's author Roald Dahl, responsible for such classics as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Witches, just to name a few, is being canceled. Well, not technically, he's dead. But some of his beloved classics are being edited to suit the woke mob. Some words related to weight, gender, and race are being deleted or replaced. Just to give you a few examples, the enormously fat nine-year-old in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has simply become enormous now. And the cloud men from James and the Giant Peach became cloud people. Miss Trunchbull, the principal in Matilda, no longer has a horsey face, and eight nutty little idiots are now just eight nutty little boys. So good, aren't we all safe now? Now, as you can imagine, most reactions to this have been negative. People have been calling this absurd censorship and a distortion of art. Now, of course, there are many problems with this, not the least of which is the double standard in hypocrisy. Consider how bizarre it is that we're willing to hand a seven-year-old an iPhone, but we're apparently worried that he will be hurt if he reads Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's a little ridiculous, don't you think? Another problem is that, of course, the world isn't sanitized. The world isn't edited. And so when these kids go out into the real world, they will be confronted by mean people. They will be confronted by harsh words. They may even be called fat or horsey face, which 
you know, that would be new and interesting. Look, we can't ultimately protect kids from harsh words and mean people. We have to train them to be resilient. We have to give them strength of character that is not affected by extrinsic things like people's mean words. Yes, we don't want people to be mean and we shouldn't encourage it, but we have to prepare our kids to be tough, not coddle them, not put them in bubble wrap and hope they will encounter nothing that will upset their feelings. And then of course, the obvious problem is what's next? You know, if the powers that be can start censoring words based on their idea of what's harsh or cruel or mean, who's to say what they'll censor next, right? This is a dangerous thing to put in the hands of the mob. We need to allow a society where you're freely able to express things, especially through art, which is designed to push the envelope and challenge the status quo. The second we begin to censor anything that might hurt someone's feelings in some way, we've robbed art of the very essence of its very purpose, and that is a huge detriment to society. Look, now I think most of you would agree with my perspective on this. Yes, here we go, more woke idiots canceling harmless things. What's wrong with them? Look, I wanna use every opportunity to learn. And while this situation is pretty dumb, I do think we could look at ourselves, and especially for those of us who are parents, and ask ourselves some serious questions. Are we preparing our kids for the world rather than sheltering them from them? The truth is there are dangerous ideologies and worldviews out there. And so we have a choice to make. Do we enter into those conversations ourselves? Do we help our kids think rationally and for themselves? Do we give them not only an understanding of scripture, but an understanding of how to take scripture and apply it to their lives, to their friends, and the questions they will inevitably face? So yeah, coddling our kids is dumb. And there are certain things that are very easy to dismiss. Look, in the end of the day, we may scoff at the removal of harsh words by woke publishing companies and the ill-equipped weaklings that they're sending out into the world and not recognize that we are doing the same thing by not in a good way exposing our kids to the dangers they will face and equipping them to respond in a rational, biblical way. Finally, on February 24th, it'll be exactly a year from when Russia invaded Ukraine, sending that entire region into turmoil. The cost has been unbelievable. Millions of lives displaced, thousands of lives lost, the country in burning ruins. I think as the anniversary of this thing approaches, I think the thing that I feel convicted about is honestly my waning concern. That for me, this has become normal. And I have friends who are in that country. I have people who have been directly affected by this crisis, by this war and the atrocities being committed there. And I don't wanna become used to this. I don't wanna become okay with this. As a follower of Jesus, I should care about injustice. As a follower of Jesus, I need to not allow my heart to become cold and calloused. I need to remain involved in whatever way God asked me to. Minimally, we need to pray. If we really believe that God hears us when we seek him, then we need to not quit. We need to cry out for justice. We need to cry out for this war to end, for peace to come, for healing to begin. We need to not grow so used to this and so comfortable with it that we just stop seeking God about it. And then of course we can give, right? We can continue to give of our resources. And then beyond that, we need to ask God, what practical ways can I help? Can I give financially? Can I go and, and be involved in some way with the humanitarian efforts that are, are going on there? What can I do to alleviate suffering? It's not enough for followers of Jesus to just be aware and just be concerned. We need to seek God with a desperate heart and then we need to pour out our lives to make a difference. And I know this is not the only incident of suffering around the world. I know there are other conflicts and wars, there's poverty, there's all sorts of injustice and inequality. And I think people outside of the church would take what we say a lot more seriously if they would see reflected in our lives a self-sacrificing love to alleviate the suffering of people around the world. So let's not grow used to injustice. Let's not grow used to inequality and suffering. 
Let's be people that care. And more importantly, let's be people that actually do something to change it. All right. Well, thank you for checking out Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction. I hope you enjoyed this. If you agree, disagree, or just have an opinion you'd like to share, hit the comments below. Otherwise, for more Provoke and Inspire content, you can click the link in the bio or the description. All right. That's it. Talk to you next time. Peace.